Hi, this is Perry Marshall. You're listening to a free, highly abridged version of Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design. The full, unabridged version is available on Audible and Amazon. Part 2. The Neo-Darwinist Dilemma. Chapter 4. Pity the Fruit Fly. Testing Randomness. What you do to me, it's just like murder in the first degree. Dawkin. There had to be a way to be certain that Darwinian evolution was true. In engineering shorthand, the formula for evolution was random mutation plus natural selection plus time equals evolution. If I could understand the parameters of that formula and its limits, I was pretty sure I could manipulate it to compute the maximum speed of evolution and perhaps the probability of a new species emerging from a given population. Given certain information, it would tell us how quickly species can develop, in what period of time, and what percentage of the time random DNA copying errors help instead of hurt. So let's define our terms. Natural selection. A natural process that results in the survival and reproductive success of individuals or groups best adjusted to their environment, and that leads to the perpetuation of genetic qualities best suited to that particular environment. Random. Proceeding, made, or occurring without definite aim, reason, or pattern. The random selection of numbers, for example. Two, statistics. Of or characterizing a process of selection in which each item of a set has equal probability of being chosen. Mutation. A sudden departure from the parent type in one or more heritable characteristics caused by a change in a gene or chromosome. In almost all popular literature, the standard explanation for evolution is that it is driven by random copying errors in DNA which produce mutations of genes. These are said to occasionally change the creature in useful ways. Given enough time, whale feet could be folded up, compressed, and put in the trunk, so to speak, or giraffe necks could stretch to reach taller branches. Many scientists insist that's all it takes. You'll easily find a hundred biology books that essentially say what the University of California Berkeley Evolution 101 webpage says. Mutations are random. The mechanisms of evolution, like natural selection and genetic drift, work with random variation generated by mutation. They go out of their way to emphasize that there is no plan or purpose behind these changes. These mutations produce variations of plants and animals. Natural selection sorts the winners from losers, and that's how life evolves. The implications are profound, if that's true. But, I was skeptical that random mutations were actually beneficial. It would be tremendously useful if this were true, but it didn't jibe with my experience as an engineer. In fact, accepting random mutation theory as true opened up a Pandora's box of questions. How often are random copying errors harmful? How often are they neutral? How often are they beneficial? How fast can a new species evolve through this mechanism? Can you observe it in real time? Or does it happen too gradually? How effective is natural selection at refining nature's designs? 
How many bad designs does natural selection successfully get rid of? Is what they say true, that 97% of our DNA is junk? Many biologists insist most of our genes are leftover evolutionary garbage, which we might logically expect to be true if human beings are literally an accumulation of millions of copying errors that barely managed to make the cut. In science, until you have numbers, processes, and successful experiments, you have nothing. So, to start, I hope to find experiments where someone had produced random mutations in plants or animals and observed evolution in the lab. Maybe they were even able to accelerate evolution by tailoring the conditions of the experiments. Maybe they had found an optimum mutation rate. It didn't take very long to find those exact experiments. Dobzhansky's Fruit Flies Theodosius Dobzhansky was a highly regarded geneticist and evolutionary biologist and a central figure in the field of evolutionary biology for his work in shaping modern evolutionary theory. He famously said, nothing in biology makes sense except in light of evolution. He deliberately induced mutations in fruit flies, also called Drosophila melanogaster, by exposing them to radiation. Fruit flies are one of the most thoroughly studied organisms in biology and are perfect for an experiment like this because they breed fast, gestating in two weeks. Dobsansky could simulate the equivalent of 600 years of evolution in only 30 years. Several papers from the 1930s report that, at the time, biologists believed radiation might be responsible for genetic mutations, which are the grist of the natural selection mill with the resulting evolution of new forms. This hypothesis made total sense. Radiation reliably produces DNA copying errors. That means you can even throttle the rate of mutations by adjusting the radiation level. If evolution is driven by DNA copying errors, and if natural selection kills off the inferior creatures and leaves the improved units, this should work. Many early scientists embarked on this exact path. An early pioneer, Thomas Hunt Morgan, began radiation mutation experiments in 1910. Dobsansky labored with similar goals for much of his life. Dobsansky wasn't the only one. Richard Goldschmidt, who is considered the first scientist to integrate genetics, development, and evolution, conducted similar experiments on moths. He was the first scientist to practice evolutionary development, or EVO-DEVO, which is now a major field of study. So, what did they find? No new forms were created. After decades of effort, these experiments produced every kind of defect you can imagine, including mutant fruit flies with legs growing out of their heads where antennae belong. A few of Dobzhansky's irradiated populations did reproduce faster than the regular ones, but no new organs or adaptive systems, let alone anything resembling a new species, were generated. Zero progress after 30 years. Gordon R. Taylor, a journalist who pulls together an impressive range of evolution data and tests Darwin's theory, summarizes these meager results. It is a striking but not much mentioned fact that, though geneticists have been breeding fruit flies for 60 years or more in labs all around the world, 
flies which produce a new generation every 11 days. They have never yet seen the emergence of a new species or even a new enzyme. In experiment after experiment, the trend was mutations generated by radiation do damage and never lead to major improvements. Dobzhansky wrote, Most mutants which arise in any organism are more or less disadvantageous to their possessors. The classical mutants obtained in Drosophila usually showed deterioration, breakdown, or disappearance of some organs. Mutants are known which diminish the quantity or destroy the pigment in the eyes and in the body reduce the wings, eyes, bristles, legs. Many mutants are in fact lethal to their possessors. Mutants which equal the normal fly in vigor are a minority and mutants that would make a major improvement of the normal organization in the normal environments are unknown. Certainly other types of mutations might be responsible for evolution, but the fact that random mutations from radiation did not help evolution seemed very significant. Hansen and Hayes reported that the incidence of lethal mutations was directly proportional to the radiation level. They lamented, we are still at a loss to account for the majority of useful natural mutations, and the question of the major cause of variation in organisms remains unanswered. Fruit fly radiation experiments were extremely useful in one respect. They revealed which genes control various aspects of development. By checking which coding sequences had been damaged, Hansen and Hayes were able to map birth defects to certain parts of the genome. You may be thinking, well... Maybe the fruit fly has evolved to its optimum state, and this is why any mutation is harmful. But if that's true, why did other species have the same problem? Goldschmidt failed doing the same thing with moths, and all kinds of other plants and animals have also been subjected to radiation. The result in all these experiments was always the same. Frustrating proliferation of damaged mutants. Self-repair and adaptation I did find a handful of radiation experiments that showed mild, favorable signs of evolution. One was conducted by Francisco Ayala, a student of Dobzhansky. He found that if he exposed fruit flies to very modest levels of radiation, eventually he got radiation-resistant fruit flies. Adaptation kicked in with self-adjustments made by the fruit fly's own cellular machinery. His discovery challenged the traditional belief that evolution has no goals. David Stadler and Richard Moyer discovered that modest radiation applied to fungus caused its gene repair mechanisms to kick in. As you'll see in future chapters, cells employ very sophisticated DNA repair mechanisms. Cells devote extraordinary machinery to detecting and repairing copying errors and to resisting radiation and other kinds of external damage. Amazingly, Stadler found that when he warned the organism with an initial dose of low-grade radiation a few hours before his main experiment, the organism would brace itself by switching on repair systems. The noted geneticist Evelyn Witkin got similar results with bacteria in the 1940s. She stimulated mutations with ultraviolet light, and instead of mutant bacteria, she got mutation-resistant bacteria. She was so surprised she made it her PhD thesis. While some papers reported very slight 
questionable improvements such as these, I never found a radiation mutation experiment that definitively produced a useful new feature that wasn't already there. I hunted for a Darwinian justification for this. Surely, somebody had a systematic explanation for why these experiments didn't work the way they were supposed to. Strangely, I could not find one. Major pro-evolution websites like Talk Origins and Infidels were suspiciously quiet about it. The closest thing to an explanation I could find was, 30 years isn't nearly enough time. 30 years is admittedly only an instant in geological time. But much later, I would find out, through completely different kinds of experiments, that a few decades is more than enough to produce a new species multiple times. In later chapters, you'll see many fascinating experiments where new mechanisms do develop in the lab fast. New organs, adaptive traits, cooperative mergers, and new species most definitely are observed today and sometimes in a single generation. However, radiation-induced mutations always appear to be neutral at best and usually harmful. In chapter 11, you'll discover an altogether different way of applying radiation that opens up a whole new perspective on these fruit fly experiments. Could that mean that when fruit flies adapt, they don't transform through random copying errors, but instead by some other mechanism? My mind burned with curiosity. What other kinds of mutations might exist? Clearly, these experiments showed glaring omissions in Darwin's theory of evolution. The random mutation plus natural selection plus time equals evolution of new species model had left out something very big. A functional theory of evolution would require some other system to get the kind of mutations they were looking for, since random wasn't cutting it. Could there be specific types of mutations that perform certain evolutionary operations? Perhaps fruit flies don't progress by random copying errors, but by some other formula? What would that formula look like? I needed to find out. Mendel, Population Genetics, and Gene Flow Population genetics is a branch of biology that deals with the statistics of genetic variation in large numbers of plants and animals. When populations become separated by migration patterns, mountain ranges, and weather patterns, the genes that are advantageous in one population may not be helpful in the other. As this happens, the populations diverge, but later, those same populations can be reintroduced to each other and the genes of one population may quickly be accepted by the new, larger group. For example, if you introduce finches with long beaks to a population of finches with short beaks, and if it's advantageous, long beaks may rapidly spread through the entire population. This is called gene flow. This is the outworking of Gregor Mendel's laws of genetics within the constraints of natural selection, the statistics of which were worked out in the early 20th century by Sewell Wright, J.B.S. Haldane, and R.A. Fisher. Population genetics is a major pillar of neo-Darwinism because it explains how, once a trait exists, it can quickly proliferate within a given population and get locked in. Population genetics is distinctly different from the random mutations in fruit flies I'm talking about in this chapter. On a day-to-day -day basis, almost all biologists think in terms of genes and networks of genes, and they deal with what already exists. 
Mendel's work applies to traits that already exist, rather than the development of new ones. Once genes and traits exist, the laws of genetics and sexual reproduction go to work. I was already aware that genes rapidly spread through populations when Brian and I were arguing about falcons. I knew the laws of genetics explained how genes combine to give you blue eyes or brown. But these genetic rules don't tell you where brand new genes come from in the first place. We're asking the question, can completely random mutations generate new features and genes in the first place? Fruit fly radiation neatly isolates this question. It puts the random mutation hypothesis on the chopping block and demolishes it.